Welcome to Northern Gold, the football podcast from Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Paul Third, Callum Law, and Danny Law. How are we, folks? Very well, thank you. Good time. Oh, yeah, right. What did I miss last week, guys? Anything big? Um, obviously, the fallout from Derek McInnes' departure from Aberdeen continues apace. We still don't know who the new manager at Aberdeen is is going to be but I'm sure we'll get into it um, over the course of the next maybe hour um, there's also Ross County's disgraceful defeat at home to Hibs to discuss Inverness's continued miserable run although things did apparently get a little bit better and we've got a lower league restart to look forward to this weekend but first of all Pataudry. Um firstly I would like to just discuss the barrage of names that has come 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 to us, come towards the fans, come from the fans over the course of the last week or so. Um, silly season is truly underway, isn't it? Oh, I think so. I think so. But I, I wouldn't agree that we don't know who the next Aberdeen manager is. I think we've got a fair idea who it's going to be. Um, it's not quite a procession, I don't think, but I'm pretty sure that Dave Cormack has one specific front runner in mind, as we've all been referring to. Everywhere, every paper you might pick up, um, we're all saying Stephen Glass is the the man leading the way for for Aberdeen, and I'm hearing nothing to change my my view that that is the case as well. The rest of it's just noise. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I agree that. Um, I mean, it seems that Stephen Glass is the the firm favourite, the the front runner. Um, is it a foregone conclusion? I probably wouldn't go quite quite that far just yet because we don't know what other candidates might emerge, what other CVs have been sent into Pataudry. Um I mean, I think the, the big issue actually with Stephen Glass is more the people around him and getting that sorted. Um, obviously, will Scott Brown be willing to leave Celtic? And I mean, Alan, Alan Russell as well. Will he be able to combine both with the England job who, who he wants as a strikers coach? Um, so, I mean, with Stephen Glass, it's more can he get his backroom team um, in place if he is the, the preferred candidate? I mean, I know that for some... Aberdeen supporters, perhaps the idea of Scott Brown at Pataudry is unfathomable. But I mean, I think if you're bringing someone in that's a, a proven winner and someone with, I guess, his driving mentality, then I mean, for me, that would only be a, a good thing at Pataudry. And, um, and he's also someone that seems to have had, done quite a lot of coaching experience with with Celtic as well. So, um, I mean, personally, I'd like to see someone in now. I think that would be much better. I know Derek McInnes always spoke um, in the long term about how much he benefited from getting those final five games um, after he took over from Craig Brown so he could assess the squad. And you would think that it would be um, a simple enough task, if it is Stephen Glass, to get him in early, um, given that Atlanta United 2 aren't really playing games just now. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see because it's probably the the other pieces of the jigsaw that are kind of slightly more difficult to get in place just now. I think what you're saying there about the, if it is to be Stephen Glass, what you've said there about the people he wants round about him, Danny, is the reason that he won't be or is unlikely to be appointed before the end of the season. Because to me, it looks like he doesn't really want to come in until, if it is to be him, that he doesn't really want to come in until he has all the pieces around him to give him sort of what he wants. I just. I mean, Stephen Glass could potentially come in and be a very good Aberdeen manager, but I hold 
a few reservations about it. I think perhaps if it is, if this does drag on until the end of the season, it's not a bad thing in some ways in that it gives the board and Dave Cormack longer to consider their options because to me you've got a whole you've got a whole world of football out there and to just go and pluck Stephen Glass straight from Atlanta to here is re- being honest the the quickest and easiest option really whereas there are can other candidates out there potentially worth considering in my opinion I mean whether you could get them or not is another one but I mean da- Darren Ferguson's one for example that I'd be I would be keen to see if Aberdeen could do do something to bring him in good re- good record in uh, in England with a number of promotions good contacts down there and I mean his uh, heritage in terms of Aberdeen sort of speaks for itself really so that's one and I mean Jim Jim Goodwin as well has done a, a good job at St Mirren. I know he's under contract until 2024, so the compensation might be an issue, but he's another one I think would be, wor- would be worth considering potentially and taking a bit of time because it's, to me, Dave Cormack and the board need to be 100% sure of the direction they want to go in, what the future looks like and who's best to get them there rather than just rushing into Stephen Glass, who I think could be a good Aberdeen manager and I'd be delighted to be if he came in and was a good Aberdeen manager, but rather than just rushing straight into that, I think it's worth considering other options as well. Paul, it seems to be your opinion that the, the process is pretty well down the line with regards to Stephen Glass. Do you, one of my questions later on was going to be whether that um, was just external noise and whether the Dons were internally following a pretty... Um, pretty long process and we're you know assessing all the candidates correctly things like that do you, but yeah you seem to think that they are clo- perhaps closed off to the, the other options that are out there that's a two-point question for me i do think glass will be the eventual outcome here but i don't think for a second that dave cormack is going to cut corners and how he goes about getting to that i think he's going to the way i look at it is i think he, he fancies Stephen glass for the role but he wants to be sure that he's making the right decision, which is why he's going to go through the process, make up the shortlist, talk to other people in the game about other candidates, and then ultimately come up with who's the best guy for me. I think it was Glass before I started this. I'm still sure that's the case. I think Glass is as good a as as, as as good a chance as anyone else. Maybe maybe slightly better, given he obviously knows the Aberdeen chairman. And he's, the fact he's already, um, the word is getting out and who he's looking for to be his backroom staff tells me how seriously he's taken it. And it's also putting, planting more seeds in the chairman's mind of, well, this guy's got firm ideas on what he wants to do if I do bring him in. What are, what are Stephen Glass's qualities, though, apart from know the chairman? I know Callum's mentioned candidates with plenty of first-team managerial experience, but... What, why Why is Glass the man for the job, in, in your opinions, I suppose? Ah, well, I was just going to say, in my opinion, at this stage, he's not entirely the man for the job, I would say, but uh, and just in my opinion. But having spoken to uh, people who've worked with him and seem to know him, they talk hi- highly of him 
as a coach in terms of his coaching ability and the lines about Laka managing, and I'm going to contradict myself because I probably used it about two minutes ago, but the lines about Laka sort of managerial experience or Laka Scottish managerial experience are bandied around and things, but it's worth remembering Stephen Glass has can played at the top level, at the very top level with Newcastle in the Premier League, and if it hadn't have been for injuries, he probably would have played for them for a long, a longer period than he did, but can he has a lot of to play at that, the levels he did, he must have a lot of knowledge of the game. And if he can transfer that into coaching and management, then he can be a, a good appointment, potentially, despite what I've said previously. I mean, he also had the experience last year of going in at Atlanta United and taking the team on a, a caretaker basis, which was, um, I guess, quite a difficult situation they were in after... Um, the Boer had left and um, and the kind of stopgap in between uh, Gabriel Heinze coming in. Um, and although I think the results weren't probably as good as what he would have liked, um, I've read a few articles over there that his, his approach to everything and how he handled the situation was um, well regarded. And as a coach, um, he he's highly thought of for what he did with um, Atlanta United's second team. So, I mean, he's not a... I mean, it would be, I think it would certainly be a big step up. And I know that, I mean, David Robertson at the weekend, he said, having had um, some experience of coaching in America, he thinks that it would be a big step up for um, for Glass if he was to make the make the jump. But um, I mean, it's it's not someone that's, that's going in at, at the age of, you know, 36, 37, first job. He does have experience and he knows the club and he, um, knows the league as well, so um, there are um, there are attributes there that suggest that he could do a good job. But it would be, I think, it would be a bit of a step into the unknown for Stephen Glass as well as Aberdeen. Can I throw in a, a wee curveball as well when it comes to this new manager hunt? We can't we can't totally discount the men that have the reins at the moment, and Paul Sheeran and Barry Robson. I mean, there's a lot of ifs, buts, and maybes. But I was actually speaking to. Stuart Duff about what Aberdeen do next and things and when he was there as a player when Jimmy Calderwood was uh, sacked as manager and he made the point and he's right enough in my opinion that if Paul Sheeran and Barry Robson go and say win the last six games of the league potentially and finish third or go and win the Scottish Cup while they're in interim charge if they do that it's, can be, it could become very hard to look past them potentially so they as much as they are sort of, I suppose the impression is that they are minding the shop at the moment. Can the, there is an opportunity there for them as well potentially to stake a claim? That is a good point. But what I would add after that is, if you look at when Jimmy Calderwood left the club, who came in after him? It was Mark McGee, and and he was an experienced manager, a decent track record, managed in England, and then in he comes at Aberdeen and. Well, let's be honest. It was <laughs> it was not the most uh, glorious period in the club's history. It was a real struggle, and he didn't last very long. Um, that comes back to, I guess, the point that Duncan Shearer made in his column this morning about is experience a prerequisite to being a manager? He said, "I've experienced guys come in at clubs all over the world and made a complete and utter rage of this." So, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's a given that you have to have a long 
list of clubs. If that was the case, we should have just gotten Sven Goran Eriksson in when he put his, his hat in the ring last week. That would have ended it all. He's been a manager since, what, 1977? I know, but I, I suppose you don't expect the the caretaker in Paul Sheeran, if he, if he manages the last six games of the season, he'll have more first-team managerial experience than Stephen Glass does at the end of that. So... I don't know. I think I think they're. I think to as Callum was saying to discount Paul Sheen and Barry Robson, um, like they don't have a hope. And Stephen Glass is coming in as this big manager with much better potential or whatever. I, I don't. I don't really see that. I, I kind of. I think quite a lot of this is based in the fact that he's Cormac's pal a little bit. Um, Danny. Well, I think with um, Paul Sheen, I mean the one thing that I remember from. I mean his time at Arbroath. I mean he was quite. Highly regarded there for putting our growth out in quite an attack-minded way. Had them playing quite good, quite good football. I think he led them to their first ever senior honours with the the third division title, and um, led them as well to a one-one draw at Celtic Park. Um, but I always remember, I think it was possibly quite early on at my time at the PNJ. Um, but going down to um, cover in our growth game, I can't remember if it was against Cali Thistle or Ross County, perhaps, but. Um, I remember saying to Paul Sheeran afterwards that um, just that his sides kind of acquitted themselves very well and played played good football, um, and and obviously must have felt unlucky to get nothing from to go through in the tie. And he kind of politely told me basically that not interested in that, and I'll say nonsense, but he used a, a stronger term. Um, but I mean, it kind of showed that he, although he kind of had his teams lining up playing sort of good, attractive football, albeit at that time with part-time players. Um, you could you could really see that he had kind of a a bit of a, a philosophy in the way that he'd kind of set up that team, and um, and he did enjoy a, a degree of success there as well with our growth. So, I mean, I think as someone who, if it is just a temporary measure, I think he would come in and be determined to do a very good job. And I mean, obviously Aberdeen struggles um, this season has, I guess, been in that final third, and he might be the type of person who's got a little bit more influence there to um, to bring about a bit of change in play. The other thing as well. I was going to mention going back to to glasses. We're all sort of looking at it from Ken Dave Cormack's leading the way, and he's going to make the call. But I, I suppose the influence Atlanta United could have in this as well. You know, as the strategic partners, it's maybe part of it also. Because I mean, Ken Darren Eels is obviously on the the Aberdeen board, and you know, being frank. If you look at things, Aberdeen are the junior partners in this in this uh, relationship, if you will. So, what the direction Atlanta might want the Dons to go down is something worth considering as well. Which would again probably lead you to Stephen Glass in the sense that they know what Glass is about and will pro will I would imagine would believe that he could do a good job at Aberdeen. But ultimately, there's no guarantees here. The fans have been clamouring for something fresh, something different, something new. Stephen Glass ticks all those boxes. So why not him? I don't remember a wave of celebrations when Derek McInnes was appointed eight years ago. And ultimately, we're talking about whether the new management team, whoever it is, can take this club onto greater things. Now, greater things is going to be improving on this fourth place finish they've had the last couple of years might be a way to have again this season and getting to cup finals again, but ultimately winning more than one 
in getting the team into the group stages of European competition. That has now become the benchmark of which you have to be measured to be a success at Aberdeen. Brief, uh, we've received word that uh, Dave Cormack's long-awaited um, statement on the current situation is going to be dropping at some point later today. Sod's all we're already recording. Paul, though, you've been keeping up to date with this, keeping abreast of the situation. What, what are we expecting Dave Cormack to say? Just to reassure the fans that the process has been carried out correctly? You might say it's definitely not Stephen Glass and we'll just have to delete this whole podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, very true. But no, I, I expect the statement to be along the lines of the, the chairman saying, look, there's been lots of names out there. Give us time. We're, going, we're not going to be rushed. We're going through a process. It's important we get the right man for the job. I'm not going to comment on speculation. Just let us get on with the task of going through our list of candidates, of which there are many, get our interviews done and make an appointment in due course. With Paul Sheeran, Barry Robson and Neil Simpson, we've got three guys who are all experienced and the first team are in good hands for however long it takes. That would be my quick summation, I guess, of what's likely to be coming. You mentioned there the names that have been linked to the job. Let's play a game of who everyone's favourite <laughs> Candidate to be priced up by the bookies yes, is no mine's Calvin Zola at eighty to one, the former Don striker. Anyone, anyone else? Anyone can top Calvin Zola? I like, I like the Aberdeen fan that obviously got onto the Sky Bet odds. Um, he was. I liked the Robbie Fowler one. I mean, I, I quite liked, uh, and he's obviously uh, our man after last week. But I quite liked the Croatian guy that Sean managed to get a hold of. What was his name? Mar- Marco Tot was it or? Mario Tot. Mario Tot. I think he. Mario, Mario. Tot. The way Super he Mario. Was, I, I was Ma- taught. I, Super Mario, exactly. <laughs> he, could, he could be the man. He was He was dead keen. Of, of course you are. Because that's the man in Gerial Ego. Everyone believes they can come in and do a better job than the guy before. And let's not forget Robbie Fowler reading the Aberdeen 2020 21 Wikipedia page on his <laughs> podcast to. For no other, for, but he wasn't interested in the job allegedly. So let's just forget about Robbie then. Um, it should be said that the Dons are actually playing, of course, this weekend. Paul Sheen and Barry Robson's first game in charge at Tannadice against Dundee United. The start the weekend, six points behind Hibs, and I would suggest that the Dons need to win and Hibs probably need to lose this weekend to really give them hope. Of third place, or is that perhaps a touch negative? Probably is. Um, it's funny. I I look at this and go, you, you have to take into the fact now what what's happened in the last week because I do chuckle when I have a, a sift through a, a message board in the last seven days and fans are dreaming of some new formation personnel being introduced that are going to suddenly change. What's been a pretty sticky period for the Dons' first team. Um, the manager's gone. The players now have a new voice in the dressing room. I don't think that'll do them any harm, but certainly Hibs win at Ross County on Saturday, which I know we'll come to in a, in a minute. It's made the task even tougher for the Dons. Uh, I said last month I'm not ready to write them off just yet for third place. I'm not going to change my mind on that yet, guys. Um, but certainly if that gap has increased... After this weekend, I'll be eating humble pie, I think, in the very near future. I think regardless of what Hibs do this weekend, Aberdeen need to win anyway. So it's a 
can at, the, at worst six points going into the post-split games. I do think as well over the the next uh, six league games, we might see that the the problems that Aberdeen have had recently on the pitch weren't uh, entirely down to to Derek McInnes because it's obviously the the same players that Paul Sheeran and Barry Robson will be working with, and I just think that we'll probably see that as a collective they'll still struggle to score goals regardless of whether it's Paul and Barry or Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty as it was previously. I still think as well if Aberdeen can get themselves into a position where they're close enough to Hibernian that going into the the last couple of games of the season that there is that chance to um, get above them and finish third then just given Hibbs's track record that you would that you wouldn't be able to write off Aberdeen in that situation. There isn't really that confidence there that if Hibernian are put under a great deal of pressure that they will be able to see it through. So that's something that Aberdeen have to cling on to, even if they're going into the final game of the season, you know, two two points, a point behind, or even even three points behind if the goal goal difference is close enough, then they might be able to turn it around. So they've but I mean it's going to be the case that Aberdeen will need to win at least a few games between now and the end of the season to kind of put that put that pressure on Hibernian. I was just going to say the one glimmer of hope for me is that how well the Dons actually played in the first half against Hamilton Ackies in their last game. They should have been out of sight. They could have been three or four up after half an hour. Yes, they didn't take their chances, but they created them. I think once one goes in, I think you might just see that weight, that pressure lift a wee bit and they might just relax. Yeah, I was going to say that... Um... It was only when Callum was speaking there that I realised that our new double act um, leading the Dons in the battle are called Paul and Barry, um, which is obviously the name of the Chuckle Brothers. Should um, should anything go wrong over the next few weeks? Uh, anyway, let's move on to part two, which we're going to have to discuss Ross County 1, Hibs 2, and it was a disgrace. Okay, so as I've said about County many times this season, I actually think they went toe-to-toe with their opponents in this one. Um, there was the, the characteristically shambolic defending at points. Leo yelled up pretty early on. Um, had a, bit of a back pass that he sent right into Martin Boyle's pass, path, but he took it too wide and Hibs failed to capitalise. But then they got themselves in front. Good knockdown understanding between Jordan White and Billy Mackay for the opener. Um Hibbs then equalised from the spot, which I'm sure we'll get onto the John Beaton's penalty decision there. Um, but again, Ross County could have been in front from Jordan White, uh, missed a pretty guilt-edged opportunity from close range, one-on-one with the keeper. Um, and Hibbs then scored again, and once again, shambolic defending from County, who failed to pick up Kevin Nisbet coming in at the back post. Um before we get on to the main talking point, which is Martin Boyle uh, over the course of the afternoon, Callum, what, what was your view on County's showing as a whole? Well, I was going to disagree with what you said initially about County going toe-to-toe with Hibs because get him, get him. <laughs> over the over the course of the game, Hibs were the better side. And the fact, County in periods had good spells, second half especially, they had a couple of decent spells. But in the first half, without Hibs, other than one opportunity, without Hibs ever looking like scoring, they were the superior side. I mean, Ross County 
didn't have a single effort on goal in the whole first half. And John Hughes admitted that after the game that they'd been thoroughly outplayed in the first period. But and I also I would say again from the point that uh, Hibbs went two one in front, they again looked more likely to score. I mean Ross Laidlaw had three or four very good saves and Michael Gardine had a terrific block as well late on to keep the score at 2-1 and keep County Inwa a chance of taking something. So I wouldn't say they exactly went toe-to-toe, but uh, obviously decisions perhaps went against them. The the penalty incident, I mean, in many ways it's probably... It, it, without wishing to say it was typical Ross County, it just had... So uh, the, the, I suppose it's one of the reasons they are where they are still fighting against relegation because having been outplayed, as I said in the first half, to get themselves in front and then a minute later, Martin Boyles placing the ball in the, the penalty spot, it was just kind of nightmarish stuff, really, for the Stargies. I mean, the decision Ross County felt, it wasn't a penalty, and I would agree with him, but I can understand to a degree why... John Beaton awarded it, and he only, as John Hughes said after the game as well, he only gets one look at it. And the way Martin Boyle sort of, Yakovite plays the ball, but the way Boyle sort of gets his body across, it makes it look like Yakovite sort of come through the back of him and knocked him to the ground. So the penalty's given, he scored. But the real flashpoint was after that, Boyle been booked for a poor challenge. He then has possibly the most blatant dive. You will ever see this. You'll see this season. John Beaton is right on the spot, has the perfect view of it. It's a stick on booking all day long. And as a result, he would have had to send Boyle, who was Hibbs' best player on the day, it must be said, had to send him off. And it would, com- would have completely changed the dynamic of the whole game. And the bottom line is, John Beaton totally bottled that decision and it was the the key decision in the entire 90 minutes and he got it completely wrong. That's the galling aspect for me, is John Beaton's role in all of this. Because clubs, managers, players, they're all feeling the pressure at this stage of the season. But the referee shouldn't be under any pressure. He's got a very simple job. He's the man in the middle, the guy to apply the rules as he sees them. And we can all see at the first original run of action that it's a blatant dive from a player and the referee is standing right there and he shies away from making any decision at all. That's shocking. Shocking. The guy should should not be taking charge of a game this weekend over the heads of that. I hope he isn't because it's an abdication of duty. If he's not going to make decisions, then he shouldn't be standing on a football pitch at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Dire decision. Worst of the season. The... The thing that stood out about it for me was the fact that it was John Beaton as well that was the referee for the Alfredo Morelos incident where he called a non-dive as a dive a couple of weeks ago, um, which I, I wondered if that would have any bearing on his on his reluctance perhaps to say what was a dive and what wasn't. But the other thing I was going to ask you was that given that County have conceded a pen, for a dive we've previously discussed against St Mirren when Colin Quainar went down pretty easily. Um, and their general defending over the course of the season, we've got to say there's been a lot of like clumsy, sort of almost like overly physical moments where they've sort of bundled players to the ground, which was the, kind of the case, or at least looked to be the case with the, the penalty that was given against Hibs. 
have Kempney got a bit of a rep that's contributing to these these decisions? I don't think so. With that, in terms of their, def- I don't think like you mentioned. You're mentioning John Beaton in previous incidents. Referees will, or people involved in refereeing will tell you that can what's gone before doesn't matter and it's forgotten about. And whether you entirely believe that or knows another thing, but I don't think referees are heading into Ross County games going, oh, they're a, they're a physical side, can I'll have to look for contact in the box. No, I don't buy that, to be honest, Ryan. In terms of their defending, as much as I said Hibs were probably the better side over the 90 minutes, I actually thought for large chunks of the game, County defended really well. Like in the first half, they soaked up a lot of pressure and but for one chance early on, they never looked like conceding a goal. The back three was really solid. Jason Naismith, right wing back, excellent job. Sort of shackling Josh Doig, I thought, who everyone seems to be raving about. And they were fine. And even can second goal aside in the second half, I thought they defended well as well. Because I, and although Hibbs had chances in the closing stages, the final quarter, a lot of that was because John Hughes made five subs and, and sent on five midfield and forward players. So in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, it was sort of two on two or one V one at the back and everyone thrown forward. So I think you can, so I think on Saturday there was actually signs of counties defending, improving, but the, the galling uh, statistic at the moment is two clean sheets in 14 games since John Hughes has taken over, which, I suppose looking to the the final six games of the campaign is a bit of a concern. It is a bit concerning, but I mean, I do think that we've seen enough positives from Ross County in recent weeks to have. I, I mean, I feel pretty confident that they're going to be okay this season. Um, I think that once it gets into the the post split fixtures, um, they should have enough there. I mean, they seem to be getting slightly tighter at the back, and Billy McKay is coming on to a game. Um, I did the the Ross County press last week and you can kind of I know that we can only tell so much from these the, the Zoom calls but there does seem to be a lot more confidence in the camp, the camp and that you can see the influence and impression that John Hughes has had since coming in there and um, so I would I would feel pretty confident that although they missed out on the chance to open up a bit more of a gap over um, Kilmarnock and Hamilton um, at the weekend I, I, I do think that come the final few games of the season that I would be going into that with the confidence that Ross County are going to be kind of looking up the table rather than over the shoulder. But I mean, first and foremost, they've got to just consolidate, make sure that they're, um, that they're in the, the, uh, the division again next season. But I do think that they've shown in recent weeks that they should have enough in the tank to do that. Preempted me somewhat. So I was going to obviously say that it's looking okay for Ross County still after Hamilton's defeat at the weekend. They close out their pre-split against St. Johnston before moving on to the games that really matter. Anyway, we will also move on to Inverness nil, Wraith Rovers nil. Okay, so Inverness are on a bit of a, a miserable run at the moment, it has to be said. Um sounded like they were better after the break on Friday. Um, came close to scoring a few times, but Again, they really need to start. They really need to start winning games if they're gonna gonna have any chance of getting into the playoffs. Because the the teams that are in the playoff slots at the moment are starting to look a bit distant. I would say. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I watched the game on um, on Friday night. I thought that um, 
the Inverness played uh, reasonably well in stages. Um, they um, they are looking, you know, fairly solid at the back, but just lacking a bit um, in attack. I mean, that was that was definitely one of those games that it could have gone it could have gone either way. Uh, I think um, John McGlynn kind of. He he said after the game that that could easily have finished five four or four three, and it, it was there was actually a lot of chances for it ending nil um, nil, and it'll be interesting to see what impact having Billy Dodson and um, the recent appointment, what how how that will um, pan out for uh, Cali Thistle. But um, I mean they've got um, a few tough games coming up, a tough run in, but I mean they they have to be looking at just consolidating that position and um, the. I mean, as you say, Ryan, the teams that are in the playoff position, there is a gap opening up now. And the worry for Cali Thistle is that, you know, a few more negative uh, results and they get dragged into something that they really don't want to. You could almost argue that they're already in that situation. Um, but they need to they need to just alleviate some of that pressure with um, a couple of a couple of wins. I think for Inverness at the moment, you've just got to try and forget about the league table completely, really, and just try and go on a, a decent run and start picking up wins. And if you do that, then you maybe come into the playoff picture, picture and you can think a bit more about it. But I think, Ken, at the, at the minute, I know they're sort of closer to the bottom than the, the playoffs, but you've just got to try and uh, blank it out and just try and focus on getting some form back. I know they're playing Wraith again at Starks Park. I think Friday night should give them a bit of confidence for that in the sense that they kept a clean sheet against a. I know Wraith had chances, but ultimately they kept a clean sheet against a side that has scored a lot of goals this season. And Inverness showed they could cause some problems. I mean, Roddy McGregor has a chance that only he'll really know how he didn't manage to score. And Sean Welsh as well hitting the post. It's in the second half, one of them that he probably has to score, really. So, can there are small signs there? for Inverness potentially that something can uh, that things will change and I mean they certainly need to because one win in 13 games just isn't can that isn't good enough form ultimately obviously the race game tonight is what you'd consider and I hate to use this phrase a six pointer but the fact they're also playing Dunfermline on Saturday and Dundee also have that midweek game well the game tonight as well I think they're playing Air United it's it's one of those where if Inverness lose twice this week, I know we're saying they can't look at the league table, but if they lose twice this week and all those teams win, then to me it's to me it's an impossibility at that point that they could finish in the playoff spots. I don't know what your guys' take is on that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you have to you have to approach these games with that positive mindset. I mean, I, I think it's it's clear that this is the the type of league table that is going to fluctuate change very very quickly you know a couple of wins and all of a sudden you're looking at the playoffs very seriously and um, a couple of defeats and you're staring into the abyss um so i mean they i think they can take confidence i mean wraith rovers had a good season but i thought i mean david carson was excellent against kai kennedy who is probably wraith rovers uh most creative player as we all know from what he did during his time at inverness and if he can do the same sort of job again against um Against Kai Kennedy tonight, then um, Cali Thistle have got um, every every chance of going there and, and getting a, a positive result. But they just they just need a little bit something to fall their way, um, get get that victory, and then 
start building momentum. We've seen it before with Cali Thistle. They've had these, they've gone on winning runs towards the end, made a push for the playoffs, and they'll hope they can do something similar again this time around. But they do, they are at that stage now where they just need a positive result under Neil McCann to get things going again. Just a, a brief word on Billy Dodds being brought in to assist Neil McCann. Um, you were talking, Danny, about the fact that they don't appear to have too much firepower or too much confidence in the, the top end of the pitch at the moment. Will Billy Dodds help that? I think so. And he said that, I mean, for he was he knows Neil McCann and Barry Wilson and, and Ryan Essen through different stages of his career. And he felt as someone who lives in the area that it would have been selfish to have uh, turned down uh, the opportunity to come in and help, given that John Robertson's on compassionate leave and that Scott Kelher is um, on sort of long term sick just now. So um, Billy Dodds was kind of pleased to kind of step in and, and help out for. Um, the next few weeks and I mean I think we know the type of um, character that he is and the, the success that he's had um, in management and assistant management that um, that he will be someone that can um, that can come in and and I guess a fresh pair of eyes to look at and support Neil McCann um, I, I think it's, it's, it seems to me like there's absolutely no harm in having someone like that around the club it could be a, a positive contribution particularly um when you look at the the chances that they're creating at against Ray Throvers, that just need just need Billy Dodds himself up front just to finish them off. I was going to ask that very question: Is Dodds playing? <laughs> that would be the best way to help their forward line, I think. The just just before we wrap up this week's episode, again we've I trailed at the lower leagues restart, of course, League One, League Two this weekend. Peterhead versus Erdionians. We've got Park Thistle against Cove Rangers. We've got Elgin City against Edinburgh City. Are we are we confident that our teams will all come back flying? Obviously, Cove maybe had a bit of before the before the break. Cove maybe had had a bit of a downturn in form, but Elgin City were certainly flying. And well, Peterhead will be hopeful that they can come back um, all guns blazing as well. Probably the best way to put it. It is the best way to put it, but my worry is how can we actually realistically predict the form of any team in the bottom two leagues at this point after the better part of two and a half months off? It's it's going to be fascinating and, and, and ugly at times, I think. It's not going to be pretty at all. Uh, with, the, with this restart, I think it, uh, how things are going to pan, pan out... Uh, is that you're going every team if they want to sort of fulfill their ambitions are going to need a bit of luck with injuries because players have been off really for two months i know they've been back to training the last week or so but they've been off for two months they're coming back with a lot of games to play injuries will happen but if you come out on the right side of it and keep key players fit it'll definitely help uh in terms of the in terms of our teams i think there's sort of a few different things there. You're looking at Cove and you're sort of thinking, can they, you know, keep challenging your Falkirks? They're obviously above Partick just now. Can they remain above them? Can they keep, Can at this stage, they're in a title race effectively. Can they keep themselves up there and try and potentially go for, for back-to-back promotions? Again, it's difficult to predict, but that's kind of there for them. In terms of Peter Head, uh, Speaking to Jim McAnally yesterday, seventh at the moment, but everyone's sort of played different number of games, so you're, it's not like they've got too much of a buffer from the, 
the relegation zone. I think his aim with this uh, split coming in after eighteen games is to try and get in the the top five. Uh, the top five come the split, and then you're obviously safe from uh, any relegation issues and anything after that's a bonus. I know they have got their their problems to seek uh, immediately ahead of this Airdrie game on on Saturday. Simon Ferry suspended. Stephen Boyd suspended, the new signing Andy McDonald suspended, carrying one over, Gary McKenzie's retired, so he's uh, already, they're already quite short on bodies. And with Elgin, I mean, they're nearest challengers to Queen's Park at the moment, still on their coattails. Can't, can, can they keep that going? Because I, mean, I think Elgin, before the shutdown, we were all really impressed with them, so I just hope that they can sort of Gavin Price's side can come back and start well, Edinburgh City at home, I believe it is, this weekend, and go from there and see if they can put that pressure on Queen's Park. The elephant in the room for me, I know we're welcoming the two lower leagues back, although when I saw the thing about the vote that came out, the announcement on Monday night, and there was a, a passing reference to the Highland League, I'm assuming that the chances of <laughs> the Highland League being back, let alone finishing in time for a playoff for now, Gone, are they? I'm sure if you offered the teams to maybe come back and play a few games that are kind of going to, you know, the season's effectively null and void, but if they could come back and play a few games, get a bit of, bit of competitive action before next season and before starting pre-season proper for that, they'd make, probably take it. I don't, you know, at that level, I think they'll perhaps just be happy to play. I don't know, Callum, you've probably got a take on that. Uh, with the Highland League, it ultimately comes down to the testing at the moment leagues one and two are coming back with the test and it's not that the seven clubs that are left in the scottish cup are doing it to play their scottish cup ties and they can do it on for the limited time they need to but unless uh the highland league is granted the the chance to return without testing by the sfa and the scottish government then this being realistic that i think the season is over unless very soon they're able to come back with, without the need to conduct COVID testing. No one has anything to add. That concludes this week of Northern Goal. A cheery note to end on. Um, thank you to Paul, Callum and Danny for joining me today. Cheers, guys. No bother. Yeah, You're welcome. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can like and subscribe um, on your favourite podcast app. You can email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk and finally, well, if you're a fan of one of our lower league teams congratulations your team's back in action you can watch them from this weekend and if you're a fan of the Dons well who knows what's going to happen there Ross County who knows what's going to happen there Inverness who knows what's going to happen there but let's hope it all goes well see you later hope you loved the episode And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.